Welcome back to the long-awaited Bitcoin for Advisors. I'm your host, Morgan Richard, and with me, I have the assistant to the host, Pierre Richard. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming back on. Last episode of the year. Yeah, we did it. We we made an effort to get one more out before <laughs> 2024 starts. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and thanks for being patient with us. It's been quite a year, um, and... Yeah, I guess we should start off with um, what's going on politically right now. Mm. You've been very heated on Twitter with uh, comments for our esteemed senator. Well, she's not our senator. Yeah, she's not our senator. <laughs> somebody's esteemed senator. Uh, yeah, somebody's uh, <laughs> in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren represents the uh, one politician who really has it in for Bitcoin the most. And um, she has some fellow travelers, some people who she's been able to persuade. But so far, it seems like she's kind of the outlier. Her and her in the Senate and Brad Sherman in the yeah, House Brad Sherman. are the two that uh, vocally oppose Bitcoin. Everyone else uh, doesn't understand Bitcoin well enough, but they like Elizabeth Warren. So they're going along with it. Um, but it's still not it's still not a majority. Well, are you implying then through your speech that Elizabeth Warren does understand Bitcoin? Yeah, so this is a debate that Bitcoiners have is whether Elizabeth Warren understands Bitcoin or not. Um, And same thing for Brad Sherman. On one hand, one could argue that, no, they understand Bitcoin perfectly well. And they understand that Bitcoin takes control away from them and solves problems without involving them. Mm. And they don't like that because <laughs> they have their pet solutions to problems and they don't like having competition. Uh, and so they, they understand that Bitcoin in some ways, you know, takes away their job uh, and, and also uh, kind of undermines uh, their vision of the world where uh, everything is run by the government and everyone has to, you know, do everything the government says because it was democratically elected and therefore, uh, you know, that's just how the world should operate in their worldview. But um, others say that, no, actually, they don't understand Bitcoin because they don't understand that Bitcoin actually does what the what they would want the financial system to do, um, meaning that, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren and other progressives You'll hear them occasionally complain about bailouts and occasionally complain about the Fed raising interest rates on people. And I even see Elizabeth Warren complaining about inflation a lot Hmm. on Twitter. Um, But she does not draw a line between inflation and the Federal Reserve. For her, inflation is always caused by price gouging by corporations. Yeah, it does seem like, though, Brad Sherman might know that inflation is caused by the Federal Reserve because he has alluded to money printer go burr quite a bit in some of yeah. his. Yeah. But I bet Elizabeth Warren does also. Yeah. And she just isn't, is it, pretending that it's not the government's fault. Right. Uh, yeah. Distracting people. Now, the thing is, though, is that it's like, okay, well, why, why is she doing that? Why would... Why would she do that? And the reason is because that fresh new money that's getting printed, she wants it to go to her programs, yeah. the things, her priorities. And um, that that's why she has to kind of defend that. 
Uh, but with Bitcoin, the money would not be going to her priorities. The mm-hmm. money would be going to whatever people want to actually spend their money on and invest in, which yeah. is not really aligned with what she wants. So n- n- the the other reason why people say she doesn't understand Bitcoin is that in terms of wealth inequality, that Bitcoin, because there's not somebody out there who can print infinite amount of Bitcoin for free, that that Bitcoin would actually reduce wealth inequality. Yeah. And that wealth inequality really increased after we went off the gold standard completely and just started having, you know, people printing money for themselves. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think also maybe she doesn't quite totally understand Bitcoin because she thinks it's something that the government can just stop. Yeah, although interestingly, well, I, I so I think that, you know, it's the same thing with any kind of law. I think she realizes that, yes, some people will break the law and they'll continue to use Bitcoin. But if she can scare away enough people, then she can keep it small and niche. Um, And the other thing, too, is that this comes with the backdrop of a Bitcoin ETF or a a set of Bitcoin ETFs Mm -hmm. being approved. And I kind of see this as her last chance after those etfs are out it's just it's It's over it's It's too many yeah too many hands in the pot too many companies are involved too many people are gonna own it yeah and so i think that's why she has so much energy on it right now she sees the clock ticking it's and then it's gonna be too late arguably it already is too late which is why i think she's not getting a whole lot of traction and um now yeah, uh, the, the, she wants the government to have a monopoly on money, right? She doesn't want anybody competing. And I think this is maybe something that Elizabeth Warren doesn't understand, is that in her mind, Bitcoin is much like a corporation issuing its own currency or kind of the uh, a, a private issuer of currency. She doesn't see kind of the decentralized angle of oh, actually, this is a public currency in the sense that it's open source, anybody Mm -hmm. can mine it. Um, But she's against sandwich monopolies, so why is she pro-currency monopoly? Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, her tweets are like, (laughs) she she doesn't like the price gouging and the inflation, okay? And then she also does, yeah, she's very pro-antitrust. So uh, she, she wants to cut down the size of corporations so that they compete more to drive down prices. But <laughs> <laughs> she wants to print lots of money to drive up prices. And it, I, I, you know, this is something that I, uh, I remember seeing in France a lot is that they would talk about, we need to give consumers more purchasing power. And also we need to have inflation. <laughs> and I was like, those are two different words to describe opposite things yeah and you can't have both that's the uh physics every force is opposed by an equal and opposite force yeah <laughs> um yeah no it's uh she definitely has um tweet schizophrenia yeah uh, the the antitrust stuff i mean it's it's funny because the federal reserve is a monopoly and i mean the you know you could talk about lots of different government agencies that are monopolies mm-hmm. um 
And, and the, it ends up now the Federal Reserve. I think though is is a particularly interesting one because it's not um, it's not a classic government agency. It's this weird like private corporation that has like one part of it is controlled by the government because the president can appoint the chair of the Fed, but then everyone else is like some weird cabal of bankers coming together. To set prices, yeah, literally to set prices. It's not like they're coming together to um, donate to charity, and then you know Elizabeth Horn comes along and says, "Hey, I don't like this. This doesn't look good." It's their stated mission is we're going to set the prices. Now, the Federal Reserve people would say, "Yeah, but we're not setting prices to maximize the profits of the banking sector. We're setting prices to minimize unemployment, to minimize inflation." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to maximize the, uh, you know, chances of getting reelected for politicians. <laughs> um, so. They also, I mean, they have some control, but they don't have total control, I think. And, and I think people often, like, think that they have more power than they actually do. If anything, I think, like, they do have some power in the short term over what actually occurs, but they have the very little power over the unintended consequences of the long term of their decisions. And so um, in some ways, it's like, yeah, there are a bunch of people in a building who are making all these decisions about what things are going to be like for us. And in other ways, there's a bunch of people making decisions in a building who have no idea actually what the repercussions of those decisions are going to be. Yeah. And they also don't control the fiscal side. So mm-hmm. they were trying to tighten monetary policy. They have been over the past couple of years, basically. But at the same time, fiscal policy has not been tightening uh, until very recently because of kind of the budget thing. But um, what that means is that they've had to tighten monetary policy way more than they would have if if they had been sort of on the cutting same spending team. Yeah. on the fiscal side can't cut spending how are all these people gonna get their checks uh well i don't really i it's it's yeah i mean the the money is going in so many different directions Mm, it really is yeah um well so to put into perspective right when we have clients who come in who have spending that's out of control right it's one family where we look at you know the line items or whatever and it's hard for one family sometimes to make a few cuts here and there and to significantly change their budget so and that doesn't involve you know multiple different government agencies that have multiple things below them that have multiple things you know there's just too many things going on at this point for the government to really even be able to make sweeping cuts yeah, there is. Um, and every time we compare it to a household, the uh, MMT people, modern monetary theory people, and a lot of Keynesians too, come back and say, yeah, but the difference between a household and the government is that the government issues its own currency. And this brings up, this brings us full circle to mm-hmm. where, okay, so if, if they didn't issue their own currency, then you would have to apply the same logic as a household. Yeah, and they'd have to be more responsible. They'd have to be more responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I don't think they like that. No, I know. Well, it is a lot easier not to be responsible, right? That's how people get into credit card debt and other debt is because it's a lot easier to just say, ah, I'll deal with it when I make more money or when, you know, I have a better job or when my kids are not in daycare anymore and they're in public school, so I don't have to pay for that. You know, there's always a way to say, I'll deal with my problem later. And the government has a very easy way of dealing with that later. They just print more money and they raise the debt ceiling. 
Yeah. So now the national debt is $34 trillion. And the interest payments on the national debt are now greater than the Pentagon, like defense, quote unquote, spending. Uh, And so it's like, uh, and this debt continues to roll at higher interest rates. And so the interest payment is growing, growing, which is growing the deficit, which is growing the national debt. So now it's like we're borrowing to pay interest. Isn't going to be kind of silly, though, when they get on the, you know, on the air and they say that we have a quadrillion of debt, you know, like they start to get to silly sounding numbers. Like it sounds like, you know, something out of Austin Powers. I I feel like to get past the trillion (laughs) number, I mean, that's astronomical, you know, when we're at nine hundred ninety nine trillion dollars. And yeah, it's not (laughs) that far away, though. (laughs) Well, it's like 20 years away. You're, you're right. Because, you know, uh, I think that they're at a point where when you have to um, you have to print money to pay the interest mm-hmm. and you're borrowing to pay the interest uh, and you're increasing the interest rate to reduce inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a no win scenario. Yeah, it's not great. No, it's 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 a bankruptcy scenario. You know, you got to restructure. You got to support the U.S. government, though, by buying 30-year treasuries, obviously. (laughs) And they'll force you to, right? When you pay into Social Security, that's what they're forcing you to do is Mm -hmm. to buy treasuries because that's all Social Security invests in. Yeah. But, you know, you would think that with all the fiduciary laws that they have, that those would apply to Social Security. No, uh, Social Security is a, a full Ponzi now. Yeah. Full Ponzi. Uh, and it's not just Social Security that forces uh, the purchase of treasuries. It's also the uh, capital requirements in the banking sector mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, if if your client and, – and it's funny because they were debating this, uh, the, the net capital rule about um, holding Bitcoin as a broker-dealer. And basically, if you're – if if you're uh, a financial institution and you hold, or sorry, your client holds some securities, uh, suddenly like you have to have some reserve in addition to that. Yeah. Um, and the the reserve has to be invested in something very quote unquote safe like yes. treasuries, which is silly because then when we look at what happened with Silicon Valley Bank earlier this year. They had so much in losses from securities that were treasuries uh, that you know they, they went to be under. Bailed out. Yeah, <laughs> and if if we talk about consumer financial protection, mm-hmm. which Elizabeth Warren likes to do so often, maybe they should go after all of this marketing that says, "Oh, U.S. Treasuries are risk free." Yeah, when they're not, they got duration risk, they got currency risk. But you can't do that if you want the government to have a monopoly on money. Right. Yeah. Tough luck for Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. It's interesting. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, her her baby, uh, yeah, her baby. What, yeah, was uh, created within the Federal Reserve. Uh, and so that way their budget is not under the purview of Congress because the Fed just prints money to pay for this bureau. Hmm. What other bureaus do they have? Do you know? 
No, that's it's very unique. It's very unique. And it's been challenged under constitutional grounds of, hey, this money was not appropriated by Congress. What's going on here? So I think that's still being litigated. Hmm. That's really interesting. I guess we'll wait and see. Because they couldn't get enough political support to actually make it a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't actually protect any consumers. I mean, how could it? No, it it all goes back to, to the price gouging of from... Elizabeth Horn's perspective, the the problem of the fiat system exploiting people is because of the greedy bankers. And if the government were to create lots of rules that restrained the greed of the bankers, then the fiat system would be better. Whereas Bitcoiners are like, no, 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 the the problem is not that. Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's it's the whole system. Yeah, uh, is, is that you need to have permission for everything, um, and so. Uh, Lightning will reduce transaction fees a lot more than the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. (laughs) One could hope. I mean, given that Lightning transactions are free and instant and the Consumer Protection Bureau cannot really compete with that. hmm? No, uh, although on-chain transactions... uh, Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about what's going on with transaction fees since we're there? Yeah, I mean, um, so transaction fees are volatile. Uh, They're volatile because... Demand is volatile, and supply is fixed. Mm-hmm. But f- supply does not. The supply of block space that is you know holding the transactions, uh, it's not fixed in the same way that the supply of Bitcoin is fixed, right? Where there will only ever be twenty one million Bitcoin, mm-hmm. um, because the block space does not have halvings. In fact, in with the Segwit upgrade in two thousand seventeen. It had a doubling. Yeah, it expanded rather than contracted. Yep. So there's uh, an abundance of block space in the long term, but in the short term, uh, there's only basically like two megabytes every 10 minutes. And so when you have lots of demand for block space in the short term, that drives up transaction fees uh, because that's a form of congestion pricing, kind of like Uber surge pricing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I think that the controversy there is where is the demand coming from? It'd be one thing if the demand was coming from opening lightning channels and, you know, settling large uh, remittances, monetary transactions that really highlight the capabilities of peer-to-peer electronic cash. Um, Instead, it's people spamming the network with ugly pictures. Yeah. So interestingly, (laughs) the ugly pictures... Uh, people got bored with that. Oh, okay. Um, They're not doing ugly pictures anymore. Nah, I think that, you know, it's still, it still exists, but, uh, you know, these things are fads. It's not as popular. It's not as popular. What's popular right now is tokens. So issuing tokens in the, inside of this data space. Is that the, from Taro or is that, no, no, because Taro is on lightning. Sorry. Yeah. Taro is actually, uh, arguably kind of a more intelligent way of doing this, but, they're not looking for an intelligent way to do this. <laughs> um, they're looking for a way to do this where basically they're able to externalize. So the problem, I think a lot of token issuance problems stem from is the ledger is centralized or decentralized. Mm-hmm. Because if the ledger is decentralized, um, it creates a regulatory arbitrage where you wave your hands at a regulator and you say the ledger is decentralized and the regulator is confused and they kind of uh, their eyes roll back into their head 
and then they walk away. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. I, uh, because even though the ledger is decentralized, the issuance is not. Is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, the decentralization of the ledger can be undone with just as much hand waving. Yeah. Because as long as the issuance is centralized, then yeah. arguably, you know, the ledger can immediately revert to being centralized as well. Good thing you're not the head of the SEC. <laughs> I, that's a, that is the worst job ever. And and you know the 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 wild thing is that like I don't think it should be illegal to issue your own token. You yeah. should be allowed to do that. That's totally fine. Um, and you there are ways of issuing a token that avoid uh, SEC oversight, as we're learning from from these cases. The way to issue a token to avoid any kind of SEC oversight is that you tell the person, hey, I'm scamming you. This token has zero value. Yeah. You're not getting anything with this token. Give me money and I'll give you the token. And people are like, okay. Yeah, they're like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe you're giving me this offer. I give you real value and you give me nothing in return. And that way you avoid all the securities laws because if there, because that means there's no contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I In a contract, there has to be quid pro quo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I give you something, you give me something. There, mm-hmm. there has to be, uh, w- what do they call it? Consideration uh, or something like that. So it'd be like owning some pogs. It's like, you donate me money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you don't. Yeah, you just take the money. You give me money. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. And that's it. But you get a token in exchange. So, you know, you get like something for your... Well, just as if you gave me money and I gave you a tote bag. Yeah. that's you know, You're not happened. buying the yeah. tote bag. Yeah, it's like an appreciation t- token of like, a yeah, you gave me this money. Appreciation. A token of your appreciation. Here's a token of our appreciation. Yes. Yeah, I get it now. Yes. Yeah. I think that works, yeah. I mean, it's basically what they're doing anyways. They're just pretending like yeah, these things are worth something in the future. Well, yeah. They're not a claim on anything. I mean, that's that's the beauty of it is that – and it goes back to like the uh, semantic argument of is it a currency, is it a commodity, or is it a security? Mm-hmm. And a security is a claim. It's a liability or it's an equity. It's a claim on a legal entity, right? Yeah. That That to me is a security. Yeah. A commodity is just, uh, it is what it is, mm-hmm. right? It's it's just, it's something. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like a commodity is something that is natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when people say Bitcoin's a commodity, I'm it's kind of- It's not, yeah, no, it doesn't not really, really ring right. It's this third thing, it's a currency. Mm-hmm. And then in currency, to me, a currency is where you're basically saying, and it's an irredeemable currency, it's not backed by anything. Yeah. Right. And so that's where, like, there's this Venn diagram of, like, commodity of, like, gold. Okay. Gold is not backed by anything. It just is what it is. But it's a, it's a commodity because it's kind of like this natural thing that you, you can extract find it in the ground. ground. Yeah. 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 It doesn't really have an issuer. But a token is just nothing. <laughs> right. Well, I think that I would argue that a token is an unbacked currency that um, is not a claim on anything. But it's uh, not worth anything either. Well, I feel like currency implies that there's some worth. 
no, I, I mean, lots of these tokens are, uh, you know, they, they are valued by stupid people. Like but somebody would accept it somewhere. I guess, I mean, the Zimbabwe dollar was worthless, you know, that yeah. was a currency. Yeah, okay, I see where you're coming from. The But the, to me, the difference between Bitcoin and a token is the issuance of it. Mm-hmm. So is it being issued by a centralized entity? It's not about whether it is a claim on anyone. Yeah. It's about... It does it have an issuer, and because Bitcoin has decentralized issuance, that's what gives it the credible monetary policy that allows it to have value. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other other tokens have centralized issuers, and so there's not uh, there's no shortage of it. Yeah, it's a you can create an abundance of tokens. You can create infinite number of tokens. Mm-hmm. Chuck E. Cheese bucks. Yes. Those are actually more valuable, though, I would argue. You could well, at least those use are them redeemable. Those, those are backed by <laughs> the full faith and credit of the mm-hmm. uh, place where you get the toys, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's the bank. The issuer. The issuer, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, the token issuance happening on uh, on within the data space of Bitcoin is creating demand for block space. And the reason why they want to do this is, I mean, they could issue these tokens on Tron or on Ethereum. And I think those have been popular places to Mm -hmm. issue the tokens. Um, But what I think has emerged is kind of this brand thing of, um, for example, you know, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. Okay. (laughs) Do you want to use the gas station bathroom or the... Saks Fifth Avenue bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, we're still talking about bathrooms. <laughs> but uh, people just think that it's going to be cleaner if it's like on I've Bitcoin. I have used this metaphor before, but I used a sandwich. Either yeah. you're eating the sandwich in the gas station bathroom or you're eating it in the bathroom of Saks Fifth Avenue, but you're still eating in a bathroom. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's maybe even better. Uh, do you want to record your podcast in the gas station yeah. bathroom? <laughs> while people are flushing yes or in the sex with avenue bathroom while people are flushing yeah <laughs> uh, you get the same result people are still flushing yeah but the flush might sound nicer at sex with no, avenue no, it's also, it's it's also also same same. <laughs> to the audience yeah but, but the issuer gets but, a better experience yeah much know. better experience for sure um no it's just like because people say oh look my token is built on bitcoin now it doesn't have any of the security properties, none of the assurances, none of the software engineering of BTC. Mm-hmm. But but it's at it's least a, it's on the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, it's got the Saks so, Fifth Avenue couch yes, bathroom experience. <laughs> it has this veneer, <laughs> you know, you're 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 it's it's fool's gold, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you're it's got the same color, it's got the same but then uh the substance of it is poop. Yeah. I get it. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, you know, so I, my question to you then is this, does this get worse or does it get better? Because on the one hand, right, it gets worse because transaction or sorry, it gets better because transaction fees go up, in which case it becomes totally nonsensical to do this um, because they have to keep paying more and more to get their their transaction included in the block. But on the other hand, like Bitcoin's brand keeps getting stronger and stronger the longer that's around, in which case it it becomes more enticing to do things on Bitcoin's network. Yeah. So I think that how this plays out is the people who are uh, 
fooled into investing in these tokens because they hear that they're built on Bitcoin's blockchain, they will get the same financial results as somebody investing in tokens on Tron, mm-hmm. right? Which is that it's going to trend to zero yeah. in terms of sats. Totally. And so once that clicks for them, then they revert to being a Bitcoin maxi and willingly or unwillingly, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, their portfolio of altcoins goes to zero. Of- Wait, what are you're saying right now is that the people doing this are Bitcoin maximalists? No, no, no. I mean, oh. maybe not revert. They'll okay. they'll they'll, they'll uh, either find a path to Bitcoin maximalism. I see. Okay. Along the lines, or of they'll keep listening to Michael Saylor. They, yeah. Or they find their path there because their balance sheet. The only thing worth anything is Bitcoin. I see. And yeah, so yeah, now yeah. they're 100 Bitcoin because mm-hmm. everything else went to zero. Yeah, but for some reason we still like. I mean, we've been watching all coins now for how? I mean, for years and. No matter how many trend to zero, they still keep issuing more. I think, though, that that's because of adoption. So basically, my my thesis is that when we get to 100% adoption mm-hmm. and everyone learns this lesson, then we're fine. I see. But as long as we're on the train upwards for adoption and we're at less than 1% of adoption, then, yeah, as new people enter the space, they go through they want to learn the hard way. By losing lots of money by buying tokens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, so this goes no on for a while. People. Yeah. Because we're not, I don't think we're close to full adoption. No. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think this will go on for a while. Um, I think it'll continue to drive animosity and debate within the Bitcoin community of people arguing over whether this is good or bad. Yeah. And, um, but it might not all take place on Bitcoin's blockchain, I guess, is the other point. Well, like some I, of it might and some of it I might mean, not. This is a huge problem for people like uh, Ethereum and Solana, you know, who, who their premise is, hey, come to our ledger to issue your token. Yeah. And if people are like being <laughs> tricked into actually the Bitcoin brand is better. And so we're going to issue on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it does take market share away on for the token issuance part. Yeah. Uh, and it drives up Bitcoin transaction fees for no reason because they're not benefiting from increased transaction finality. Mm-hmm. But the I guess the silver lining would be that more people are going to adopt Lightning as a result of Bitcoin transaction fees being so high. I uh, yeah, although you, uh, you still have to open channels, and so that causes that costs transaction fees. Mm-hmm. But my thesis is that um, the Demand for issuing tokens is cyclical, and so you'll open your lightning channels uh, when there's very little demand for issuing tokens, and then you can transact on lightning, mm-hmm. and then you can wait it out, basically. Yeah. 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 Okay. So once the channel is set up, then you can transact on it, and you don't have to worry about on-chain fees. Yeah. So like right now would be a bad time to open a channel to pay for a $5 coffee. But if you had done it, you know, six months ago. Maybe. Uh, that changes. I mean, uh, it's like, oh, maybe at three in the morning, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Because they're all asleep. Just, yeah. <laughs> just keep checking. You'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. Or you can send a transaction and just set a low fee rate and then mm-hmm. just, just wait. wait. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Low time preference is the solution here. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to add to transaction fees or? Um, 
No, I mean, I think that the other driver for transaction fees is the bull market in terms of just Bitcoin's purchasing power. Yeah, well, I guess that's what I found a little concerning was that transaction fees were already high before we even are going into really the bull market here. Yeah, it's going to be bonkers. Yeah. Having both combined. It might be very interesting to see what happens. Or it just becomes unfeasible for these people to issue their tokens. Um. So as long as there's new money coming into kind of the bucket shop, penny stock, you know, mm-hmm. uh, penny token space. Then it's worth that, it to them. To, then they can yeah. pay the transaction fees. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, it's like going to the casino, right? Like the house always wins. Uh, but as long as there's fresh new money coming in, then the house can continue to. But yeah. it's going, people are going to be really upset about bitcoin transaction fees yeah yeah they have been in the past it's gonna get worse yep and i don't know i uh it's like yeah you have to learn how to use the system correctly (laughs) i'm sorry that's just uh that's all there is to it it's also i mean i don't know how high they are but like when i had to send a transaction you know it was like 15 bucks i mean it's not that big of a deal it it is a big deal if you're trying to buy your coffee yeah yeah Uh, it depends what you're trying to buy for sure what you're trying to move around but or if you're trying to just open a small lightning channel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, a wire transfer is anywhere between 15 and 50 bucks, depending on where you're doing it. So, something to consider, too. You know, it's like if you're going to write a check, you've got the risks of, you know, you actually have to own paper checks, which cost money, and you have to write it, and you have to get the address right, and you have to put a stamp on it, and you have to assume that the U.S. government is actually going to deliver your mail, which apparently is difficult lately, because, and I know this because um, my aunt likes to send birthday cards and Christmas cards, or sorry, not Christmas cards, but Hanukkah cards to our kids, and, like, you know, one out of three will get them. Yeah. And it's not because she only sent one out of three, it's because the mail lost the other two. So there's, you know... <laughs> there's something to be said for transaction finality yeah <laughs> um i think the other hope is that it always is more economic or the marketing is better if you launch your own blockchain right so if it, because there's a, a difference between issuing a token on somebody else's blockchain mm-hmm. and launching your own blockchain and so the tokens that grow in tremendous value uh and putting air quotes around that just please uh you know like ethereum like solana they are not like ethereum could have launched as a token on top of bitcoin Mm -hmm. right instead they said you know fed to that we don't because a key part of our marketing is we have better technology so why would you build on top of bitcoin when you have better technology so i think that from the marketing perspective it'll always be about hey we're Launching our token on top of Bitcoin because it has the best security and it's the oldest blockchain. Mm-hmm. Versus, hey, we're launching our token as a new blockchain because we have the best cryptography and we have uh, all of these advances in smart contract, blah, 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 of Ethereum and Solana, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And Cardano and uh, the nth thing. Whatever. Yeah. And so it's kind of this dual track. It's choose your own adventure. Like, okay, hey, I'm interested in crypto. Uh, do I become a Bitcoin maximalist who's like BTC only, Bitcoin only? Or do I become a, um, and it really is like a pure token speculator because if you're like, hey, we're launching a token on top of Bitcoin, there's no technology argument. 
right? Because you're just spamming the Bitcoin blockchain. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not creating any new technology. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we saw a lot of meme meme coins, meme tokens uh, yeah. during the previous bull market. So I think that there is like a, a market of people who just want to speculate on illiquid pump and dumps. Yeah. And so Bitcoin is actually a fine data space for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been going on forever, right? I mean, before crypto, it was penny stocks were like, yeah. they were a thing for people. And then there's the technology utility people who are like, oh, we have to find new ways to do DeFi. Mm -hmm. And so then they go off into Ethereum and Solana land. Yeah. And so it really is is uh, kind of a strange ecosystem that's uh, developing in this 15th year of Bitcoin. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what the next 15 years look like for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, personally, my prediction is that everybody's going to get wrecked if they <laughs> over are and over and over again putting yeah. their life savings into highly mm -hmm. dilutive uh shib tokens mm -hmm. versus uh btc but um yeah they're, they're free to make that decision but you don't have a cute dog face on your bitcoin yeah <laughs> i wish we had a cute dog face on our bitcoin but um you know you've got other things going for the bitcoin you, the, okay here here's what i say to the shib people <laughs> Get a hardware wallet, yeah. and then stick a shib sticker on it. Bingo! And now you have Bitcoin shib. Yes, but you're a Bitcoin maximalist. You just happen to like the way dogs look. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you're building on top of Bitcoin you know hardware, what? and it doesn't even need to be a Shiba Inu or whatever. It could be a Corgi or a Paw Patrol, whatever you like. That's right. And if you want to mm. gamble, uh, go to Las Vegas. Yeah. Actually have fun gambling. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Instead of Make sitting in front of your computer like looking at charts and ticker symbols. Well, I think the difference is that you don't you're pretending that you're not gambling. Uh are they Some people are pretending that they're not gambling. Yeah. They... Like there's arguably a there's a swath of people in crypto who believe that they are going to do some sort of Warren Buffett style value investing. Right. Based on the technology. Yeah. Yeah. That they know more information than other people, blah, 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 blah. Or, but it or really that they is have gambling. a trading edge. Yeah, right? a trading the, edge. Like, yeah, this is purely speculative. I don't care about the technology, but I can read a chart better yeah. than anyone else. I'm great at CMT, whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of CMTs. <laughs> oh, boy. That reminds me of uh, CFPs. Yeah, I heard that you're all getting arrested. Um, not yet, oh, but okay. potentially. <laughs> Uh, a group of us known as the Bitcoin for Bitcoin Financial Advisors Network received letters from the CFP board. Um, basically, yeah, emails with a letter attached to it. With a PDF. With a PDF. Asking us for more information on what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and it's from CFP board enforcements, not from CFP board. So um, our, our responses are due January 5th. And oh, that's coming uh, up quick. it is coming up quick. And I guess we'll see. I actually um, I emailed them three times asking for more information about what they're looking for and did not receive a response. Um, it's the holiday season. <laughs> yeah, no, but in their e in their email to me, they said, oh, well, normally we were we only give you two weeks to respond to these. But because of the holidays, we're giving you an extra week. Yeah. So thank God for that. I have an extra week to, you know, mull over what, how I'm going to respond. Well, to wait for their response. Yeah, to wait for their response. Because they ghost you. Like, I mm -hmm. mean, they go on vacation. Yeah. 
And then they come back next week, I guess. I guess. And, and then they are going to await my response. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think what's sort of interesting about it is that um, some of the questions they asked are just publicly available information about any registered investment advisory yeah. firm. What color is Bitcoin? Yeah. <laughs> The thing that I found kind of funny, though, about my tweet about it was that um, people didn't realize that they were referring to specifically a group of Bitcoin financial planners. Mm. Um, And they thought that the CFP board was actually referring to people who are interested in Bitcoin as like the Bitcoin network, the financial advisors network or whatever. Yeah. Um, But no, they're not going after the whole network. They're just are. They are trying to see, it seems like they're trying to see if we are at fault for um, providing advice on Bitcoin in some capacity. And it's kind so, of a weird way to go about running a professional organization. It is, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also it's an interesting timing, like we were saying before, like Elizabeth Warren's timing before the ETF coming out. Mm-hmm. Like their timing is interesting going after us. I mean... As far as I'm concerned, I mean, we are we all are CFP holders in good standing. We all have fiduciary duties to our clients. Um, we're all mm. fee-only practitioners, which you can't even say about everybody that holds a CFP, Like, which means that we minimize conflicts of interest. We only charge basically for advice. We don't charge for, um, you know, we don't, we don't charge commissions and try to get money in, you know, yeah. sneaky ways, which you can actually do with a CFP. Um, and so, like, we are, like... I mean, not to toot my horn or anything, but I like to think of us as like the cream of the crop of CFP holders, you know? <laughs> Which, you know, okay, here's my conspiracy yeah. theory. Okay. T- putting on my tinfoil hat. Mm-hmm. So Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, right? Yeah. He listens to our podcast. Oh, of course. Yeah. He's listening to it and he's hearing you talk about self-custody and helping clients self-custody. And, you know, he's working on an ETF product and he's like, hey, look, if... If they just see the ETF as being the appetizer mm-hmm. and the entree is self-custody, that's a problem for our business. Yeah. We need the entree to be the ETF and for self-custody to be dessert. I see. For the, you know, lucky He didn't few. shut us off after we made fun of Jerome Powell's uh, spreadsheet? No, that part's fine. Okay. <laughs> he makes money either <laughs> yeah. way there. Yeah, he doesn't care. Um, But uh, with the ETF, I mean... They arguably, you know, an ETF issuer would say, uh, well, it's not okay for financial advisors to be helping their clients self-custody. You know, that's something Mm -hmm. we got to crack down on and funnel everyone into the ETF so that we earn our fees. Well, yeah, there's that. And then there's also, I mean, the CFP board is going to have to take a position after the ETF is out about whether or not your fiduciary duty is to actually help clients self-custody or not. Right. I mean... Because I would argue that, yeah, the right way to hold Bitcoin is to actually hold Bitcoin, not to Mm. hold some sort of receipt that says you have Bitcoin. And so, like, I do think that advisors have a fiduciary duty to help clients actually own Bitcoin and own it in the right way and take self-custody. The problem is that a lot of advisors, they don't know how to do that. And then there's also the other problem is that a lot of clients are incapable of potentially holding it properly and so there's a lot of education and handholding that has to go on and for the average advisor who has you know 200 300 clients who they meet with you know for less than an hour once a year they just can't do that 
Um, and so the CFP board then would have to rethink how they're thinking about fiduciary duties. And of course, if they're going to expect this kind of service from every single financial planner, then fees are going to go up, right? And then the CFP board has an issue as well, because, you know, yeah, like there should be a variety of fees, but not every financial planner should be charging, you know, an arm and a leg for their services. And so there's like a Consumer Protection Bureau-esque part to it, I think, as well. Yes. Um, they're enmeshed really with the government they, they really but they're are. not the government right um and what what i find astonishing though is that if i were if i were running a organization that was about financial planning and i'm hearing some noise about bitcoin uh I, and and that some of the members of my organization are experts on bitcoin i i would want to ask them questions and talk with them about bitcoin you wouldn't send them an enforcement letter <laughs> i wouldn't send no not necessarily that wouldn't be my first outreach to them uh my first outreach to them would be hey uh we're we're curious we're bit curious uh tell us about this uh because on one hand we read all these news articles about lots of criminal activity scams etc on the other hand this is the best performing asset over the past decade so mm-hmm. Uh, it really is uh, an interesting question of how it fits into financial planning. Well, yeah, there's that. And like they've also put out some guidance about the fact that advisors need to be educated about Bitcoin in order to advise on it. And they've also used other digital assets when they describe that. Um, and they do have I mean, Swan had applied to be a CFP, um, like a continuing education provider mm-hmm. um, and as well as LearnBitcoin.io. So like they have two bitcoin ce providers on there too so it's like they're making moves to do this but then they're also taking steps backwards it it doesn't their strategy doesn't necessarily make sense yeah and um i mean it it, it, when people talk about oh we need more education you know you go to a conference and the panelists will be like oh the problem in this space is we need more education Mm -hmm. and i'm always like then give it on the panel. Yeah, do it right now. Do it. G- educate us, yeah. please. And it, it's like we need to raise awareness. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. Okay, can can we just practically talk about uh, actually educating people? I've made this point too to a conference provider because, like, basically the it was a digital assets conference, and they were asking me to do a speaking, and I said that the the what they should be doing is having like real Bitcoin education at the beginning, because often what happens at these conferences is that people keep throwing around that you need to educate themselves, but they don't actually provide any education when they're on stage. Yeah. Um, and so they did that, but they added um, cryptocurrency to it. Ah, terrible. Terrible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe that's, that's the challenge for the CFP board as well is that um, they, on one hand, like Bitcoin is the only uh, one that people should be investing in, really, or saving in. Uh, on the other hand, you know, they're probably getting lobbied by lots of cryptocurrency uh, industry people to go in the other direction so that you're holding a portfolio of uh, crypto ETFs. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder that, right? Because so for instance, it was a bitwise that Matt Hogan's like, yeah. right, like they have their, you know, balanced ETF thing that you could buy that holds a bunch of different things. Yikes. And yeah, it's so it's, 
Uh, and he's active with, uh, I don't know if he's active in the CFP community, but I know he's active with the CFA Institute um, and he's written content for them. So, yeah. I mean, they definitely are getting it on all sides. And I and I do wonder, like, you know, because one of the questions they asked us is like, how many, how many of your clients own Bitcoin, but how many of your clients also hold other things? And it's like, well, our clients hold Bitcoin and they don't hold other things. And like, is that what you're going to nail us on that we're not quote unquote diversified, you know, and it's and then it's explaining to them, right, educating them on why uh, having more coins is not necess- is not diversification. Um, and I think with like the fiat mindset that everybody has, right, we have to be diversified in a fiat world because you can't spend so much time, you know, analyzing every little investment. And you need to spread your money around quickly and get it invested so that you're not diluted out. Um, and so the CFP has this mindset of like, that's the right way to approach everything. Um, and that's obviously not the case. Um, there's, you know, there's Bitcoin, which is a savings vehicle. And then there's all these other things, which are gambling mechanisms. Yep. Um, all right. Well, we've got that to look forward to in the new year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you posted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you again in 2024. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Thanks for your patience. We will try to get these out monthly, but you know, we say that and then we don't. Quarterly. So, I don't know. Annually. Quarterly, annually. Yeah. At least annually. Yeah. And um, yeah, we wish everybody happy and healthy. Yeah. Happy New Year. Bye.